starting in verse 129. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant, because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise, and let no grief get dominion over me. Therefore, that I may keep your precepts, make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statues. My eyes shed streams of tears, because people do not keep your law. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. My zeal consumes me, because my foes forget your words. Your promise is well tried, and your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever, and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. This is the word of the Lord. Maybe see So after uh, today, uh, we have uh, two weeks left in uh, Psalm 119. And um, for me personally, uh, the summer has actually flown by. And it seems like we actually just started going over this psalm together at the beginning of the summer. And uh, if I'm being honest, I was curious at the beginning about what it was going to be like. Uh, because for one summer, we were going to be going through one psalm all summer long. Just, just one psalm. And so I was thought it might, I was like, this is going to be, I think it'll be, I think it'll be cool, but I'm afraid that it's going to feel like it's just going to like draw out forever. Um, but that hasn't really been the case, uh, at least, at least for me. I think it's, it's been awesome. It's been fantastic. And like I said a, just a second ago, it seems like it really has just uh, flown by and uh, we just started. And even though I've enjoyed going through the psalm together, uh, I'm also excited about us uh, picking back up in Mark and, uh, finishing that up in the, in the fall. Um, but as we've gone through the psalm together, um, I believe that throughout the psalm, we've been reminded of a handful of things uh, over and over again. Um, we've been reminded that uh, God's word is incredibly precious. It's a precious gift uh, that he's given to his people. Um, and we have seen a celebration of wisdom throughout the Psalm 119. We've seen a truth put on display, uh, the clarity of God's word, We've seen his grace. Uh, we've seen uh, direction being given uh, to God's people. And uh, we have seen the, the power of God's written word uh, to his people as well. And those are just reasons as to why Psalm 119 has been uh, cherished by uh, God's people throughout history. And as we've shared a few times throughout the summer, there have been many before us who have uh, given special attention and gratitude uh, to Psalm 119. And so one of the things that I've enjoyed is that while we've journeyed through this together is how uh, you can look at Psalm 119 and consistently uh, point to Christ uh, over and over again. Um, everything that we have seen in reference to, uh, everything that we've seen in reference to God's word, his law, his testimonies, 
all of that should not cultivate uh, self-righteousness or uh, self-reliance, uh, but it should point us back into consistent dependency uh, uh, back to Christ because he is the one who has lived the perfect life and a blameless life. And he is ultimately the greatest revelation of God to his people because he is the ultimately uh, the word made flesh. And so as we dig into uh, the first uh, stanza uh, today, we are looking at, um, we're looking at uh, Peh, which is the uh, 17th stanza of Psalm 119. And uh, at the beginning of the passage, uh, we see that the uh, psalmist is uh, praising the testimonies of God. Uh, the psalmist has a really strong uh, affection uh, for God's word. He admires God's word. And in uh, verse 129, uh, we see the word the psalmist uses to describe uh, the word of God is he calls it, um, he's the word wonderful. And he says that your testimonies are uh, wonderful. Um, but the word wonderful here means it's a little bit different than how we normally use it. And so sometimes when we, when we use the word wonderful, uh, it's usually in reference to like a, a nice gesture or maybe it's a nice accomplishment that has uh, taken place. Um, but the way the, the Hebrew word that we get wonderful from actually means something closer to a supernatural or something beyond, beyond human uh, comprehension. And so when John Calvin breaks down this verse, he explains it as God's word containing high and hidden mysteries. And so if we're, if you're a Christian, you understand, you understand this to some degree, right? And so no matter how, no matter how much or how often you open up God's word, there are always new discoveries. And so if you read a verse for the one millionth time, which would be incredible, uh, you still somehow, uh, in some miraculous, some wonderful way, discover these new hidden mysteries within the scriptures. If, no matter how many times you, you read it, there's always something, there's something consistently new revealed to us. And so when we come to know Christ more clearly and we find more evidence of God's divine grace, love, and faithfulness to God's unfaithful people, and we rediscover these things like over and over again. And so some of you know that uh, uh, my wife Emily has been doing this pro project for a, a podcast for a church, and her job is to read scripture for this podcast. Um, and that's something that she's been working on every week for almost a year now, is she reads chunks of scripture every week uh, for this uh, church. And she's been, um, so it's obviously it's the Old Testament, it's the New Testament. And um, when she was in the middle of doing some recording uh, for a huge chunk of the Old Testament, uh, she stopped um, in the middle of our workday with like no regard for what I was doing and interrupted me and just went on this like spiel about how it's how it is not possible for somebody to read the Old Testament and not see a loving, gracious, and merciful God. Because that's what she was reading. This wasn't the first time she had read the Old Testament, but for whatever reason, when she was going through the Old Testament this time, uh, it just hit difference. And there was this new discovery, and there was this new reality. And as some of us probably know, uh, there's a misunderstanding with the God, with who we see as God in the Old Testament. And there's this idea that the God of the Old Testament is just this angry, mean, and vengeful, vengeful God. But as she was reading through it again, not for the first time, she was just saw like as if it was brand new. God's glory, God's glory, his mercy, his grace, and his faithfulness to his people. 
And so sometimes when you read scripture, sometimes, like we just said, it just hits the, it just hits different. And it doesn't matter if you're reading that passage for the one million time, for the second time, the 100th time, uh, but we are, we rediscover God's infinite mercy and it's revealed to us. And we see these hidden mysteries over and over and over again. And so what we see at the beginning of our passage today is an addressing of the hearts of the, uh, the psalmist. And so um, nobody cares about God's word unless there is a transformation of the hearts. And we don't have any concern at all for God's word unless the soul is, uh, is stirred up. And so for the last five weeks of our uh, MC, uh, we have been breaking into the, the book of Romans. And uh, we just started uh, chapter two uh, last week. And so we spent about a month in uh, chapter one. And one of the things that Paul uh, drives home very, very clearly in Romans chapter one is that everybody, everybody knows of God, right? And that God has shown himself to everybody. And so what he's, what Paul's saying is that nobody has any excuse uh, at all uh, for whatever reason to say, like, I didn't know that God is real. I didn't know that God existed. God did not reveal himself to me. Paul like drives that point home in Romans chapter one very, very clearly. But those whom God has not drawn to him, but those whom God has not drawn to him are guilty of suppressing the truth because that's what every human being is guilty of at one point in their life is everybody is guilty of suppressing the truth. But those that God did draw to himself um, have this new stirred up heart, have this new stirred up spirits. And that's what the, the psalmist is addressing at the, the beginning of the stanza is the stirred up, uh, is the stirred up spirits. And so we need a divine stirring up of the soul to kindle spiritual uh, devotedness to the things of God so that we love the things that God loves and that we hate the things that God hates. This allows us to stumble forward in obedience to him. So as the psalmist continues on with the stanza, he continues in praise and celebration uh, of God's word. And one of the purposes of God's word is to give, to give light. And by light, we mean the understanding of God's word, telling us everything about life. And so God's word tells us um, everything about life, about life, and God does so by giving us light. And by light, we mean the understanding of God's word, telling us every everything, telling us our origin, telling us our purpose, how to navigate situations in life, how to deal with our issues, our flaws, our needs. It tells us who we are. It tells us who God is, about his character, about his attributes, what pleases him and what makes us angry. And the God's word gives us light and gives us clarity about all things. And I think something I mentioned previously, one of the last couple times uh, I was up here, was that the scripture does give us answers to like to all our questions uh, in life. And if we pick up the scriptures and read them, so many things that we do have questions about are uh, addressed. And picking up the scriptures and reading them isn't, some, isn't something we have, to, we have to necessarily do alone, but it's something that we do uh, as a group and as a community, whether it be things like this, uh, missional communities, or just one-on-one uh, -on -one while we're at home. But it does change our life because God's word does give us light. And what light does is light does illuminate uh, darkness. 
And that's what God's word does, is it enters into our darkness, ourselves, our dark souls. And for the, from the first moment, it shines light onto us. And we begin to start to know and understand, just at the beginning, the things of God, who he is, what pleases him. Uh, we, got to, we start to begin to understand him because that light has illuminated uh, the darkness. And what the psalmist explains at the end of verse 30 is that you don't have to be an academic to uh, understand this. Uh, you don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to have um, this gigantic library with bookshelves all the way up to the ceiling that you have to like climb a ladder to get to the top of. Um, like you don't have to, you don't have to have that. Um, like you don't have, you don't need to have an MDiv. You don't need to be a doctor to understand God as you have an understanding of uh, theology. Um, a child can and often does understand the Bible. And, and interestingly enough, sometimes, oftentimes better than a person with a very impressive education and uh, background. It's actually a terrible and horrible thing that we tend to think of the scriptures and theology as something that is a, a white-collar thing. Um, it's, an awful, it's an awful thing. Um, something that I was telling uh, Mike the other day, uh, we were talking about like uh, church and uh, liturgy and uh, stuff and things. Um, but this is the first church that we have been a part of that is uh, intentionally uh, liturgical. Um, when we were in West Texas, I'd become, I'd grown very curious about uh, liturgy and convinced that being intentionally liturgical was a, was a good idea. And I was trying to figure out like how I could like slowly work it into the church plant that we're doing without anybody uh, noticing it. Um, <laughs> uh, but part of what had won me over about liturgy was the, the history of it and why like it existed, like what the, the purpose of it was. And what a lot of people don't know is that the liturgies that we have, like the one that we take part in every every Sunday, is that liturgy existed for the purpose of the common man or the uh, simple person. Um, throughout human history, Christians and most people did not have the education that we have today. They couldn't read and they just didn't understand a lot of the basic things that we take for granted today. And so the liturgy was designed to teach and to educate the simple person, the common man, like the psalmist is talking about uh, here. And the liturgy was for uh, the was for discipleship. It taught people the word. It taught people who God was. It taught people how to pray. It taught everybody the basic things of like being a Christian. And so they would get together and they would re repeat and rehearse often the same things over and over again. The scripture that they couldn't read, they would say out loud together like over and over and over again. Um, and for whatever, for some dumb reason, in our culture today, the liturgy that was created for the simple, common man is viewed as a very prestigious uh, white-collar thing that is for the, the uh, um, ivory tower. And so since being at Redemption Hill, um, Emily and I have benefited greatly from being a part of and participating in uh, our liturgy together. Um, it's strange because... If we've, the few times we have gone to another church on Sunday that is not liturgical, um, it's just not right. <laughs> it feels like we're missing out on something. It feels uh, incomplete. Um, and for that reason, I told Mike recently that Redemption Hill has ruined a church uh, for me. <laughs> uh, because it's just like we can't go back to like what we once were familiar with. Uh, because we've experienced something that I would argue is much richer than what we once uh, what we once knew, and so I say all that to say humbly, as much as I humbly can, that I think to some degree this is what the psalmist is talking about when he says that he pants 
and longs for God's word, for God's command, for God's instruction, um, is that when we come together on Sunday and we go through all these scriptures together, um, like that's like take gasping for a big, uh, big gasp of air. It's like, cause when you're panting, you're trying to consume as much air as you possibly can at once. And so when the psalmist says that I pant and I long for God's word, he is trying to, he, he's hungry and he's consuming as much word as he wants or he desires to. Um, and on that note again, um, with Emily's project that she's been doing with this church, um, she records and reads chapters upon chapters of scripture uh, every week. Um, here shortly, she will have gone through the entire Bible uh, in one year through the recording she's doing every week uh, for this church. Uh, and she's enjoyed it. Uh, she's enjoyed She loves the project. She looks forward to it uh, uh, every week. Uh, she anticipates going to her desk and uh, kicking me out so that she can record and not have any background noise or any issues like that. Um, she enjoys opening up the Bible and reading chapter upon chapter over and over and over again. And this is her panting and longing for God's word, for God's instruction. Um, but at the same time, being honest, like that project is, is coming to an end. And so like she will not have like this instruction of reading these chapters every week. And so there's a part of her that is is concerned because she enjoys it. But if there's not instruction to do it, like what will happen? Um, and so like, she's, is like, she's sad and she's concerned about like what is going to come next. There's going to be more free time. Um, but this thing that she's enjoyed, will she stay like, um, faithful in that, uh, in that kind of thing? Um, which is interesting because I think a lot of us, when we actually do finally open up the scriptures and start reading them, we actually really do enjoy it. We find fulfillment in it. We find a peace in it. It's like, we know that's where we belong, but for some dumb reason. It sometimes takes us a long time to just open that, that the Bible up, even though like we know that when we open it up, we're happy and we're pleased to be there. Um, but because we're not fully healed yet, there is still like a little bit of like that tension that we create uh, for ourselves. And so here we see the psalmist uh, panting and longing for God's instruction for His word. And uh, as believers, we know, as new believers, that this is a newfound desire for us, right? Before we were believers, we didn't really have a concern for, for God's word. Um, and if you are a new, if you, as a new believer, you, under, you have responded to God's word in your life. You've responded to the gospel. You have said, you've acknowledged that, you have truly acknowledged that God is real and that you want to follow him. You want to be committed to his plan, his purpose, and his mission. Um, that's what we have done. And the psalmist is saying right here, um, just to reiterate one more time, uh, that he pants for God's word and that he wants to consume as much of it as he possibly can, like when we gasp for air. And as the psalmist journeys down into this through the stanza, um, we see that he makes a, a, a group of prayerful uh, commands. And in those is a plea for God's graciousness. And the psalmist is a plea for God's graciousness because uh, he's insecure that God will be gracious to him, but he's pleading to God's for God's grace trusting and understanding that God will be gracious to him and that God has been gracious to him. We know that because the psalmist has said to God to turn to me. And when the psalmist says to turn to me, he is understanding and acknowledging that God has not abandoned him, that God is not far away, but that God is right there, that he's near and that he's close um, like a father is uh, with his kids. Um, and he's, 
And so this is a, not a, an insecure prayer. This is not an arrogant prayer, uh, but this is the psalmist's beginning of his humble commands uh, and not his uh, arrogant demands. And like the psalmist who asked to keep his steps steady in these commands, we must be a people who beg the Holy Spirit uh, to do the same uh, for us by directing our steps to be in line with God's word. And the psalmist is asking God to guide him through life. Um, and each of us here today uh, must be doing and hopefully are doing the same thing, crying out to God and asking God to guide our steps and not relying and trusting on our own selves or our, or our own wisdom, but trusting in the wisdom of the Lord. And so I think it's worth noting here that the emphasis is in God's word, but there's also an emphasis in prayer as well. And we don't want to overcorrect and focus on, we don't want to just read the word and not go to go in prayer. And we also don't want to just go to prayer and not go to God's word. We want to do both of these things unified uh, together. And so when we seek to be obedient to God, we are within the will of God while seeking to uh, obey him. And as we, and we see this in the psalm, in the psalm, obedience to God is not possible unless God actually supplies the grace for us uh, to do so. And so we, we see that the psalmist begs to God to be gracious, knowing and trusting that God will be uh, gracious. And as the psalmist continues through these, uh, these prayerful commands, he refers to himself as a servant. And he refers to himself as a servant in confidence. It's not insecure. It's not uh, self-degrading. It's not that by any means. But he's referring to himself as a servant, and he's saying to God to make your face shine upon your servant. And we see this with a lot of writers within the scriptures. Uh, they call themselves servants. They call themselves bond servants. They call themselves uh, slaves. And this is something that the writers have uh, thought of as uh, not something degrading, but as uh, something that they were ex they were eager and excited to refer to themselves to. And this is a really good example about how the gospel uh, always flips everything uh, upside down. Uh, because you would, normally you would think that being, being a servant is a degrading thing. Being a slave is a dehumanizing thing. Being a bond servant, again, is a degrading or dehumanizing thing. But when you're a servant to the one true king and the creator and the author of life, that is a, a privilege and that is an honor. And we are it's something that we would hopefully would be excited and eager to do is to serve the author of life and to be a slave of the author of life and that we can understand as believers, that that's ultimately where true freedom is, is being a slave uh, to the creator, the author of life, and the king of kings. And as servants of God, we have complete assurance and hope of our salvation. And so as because we're servants doesn't mean we're working or earning something, but it's ultimately our proper place, and it's where God had created us to be from the beginning. It's being realigned with who God had designed for us to, uh, to be. And so as servants, there is hope and there is salvation uh, in uh, being a servant to uh, Christ. And we can know in true, complete, we have, that we have true, complete acceptance um, as the face of God is shining down upon us, as verse 135 says. And that through God's word and prayer and community with believers, we can know that God is teaching and revealing to us his word. The last verse of the first stanza, um, we see that something really interesting. Uh, we see the psalmist is in a great pain as he is uh, crying over those uh, around him um, because those around him are continuing to be in the disobedience uh, to God. Uh, the psalmist goes as far as to use hyperbolic language referring to uh, streams of tears going down his face. 
Um, and the streams of tears, this is, give me a second. Um, I found this, uh, of the two stanzas, this is probably the one that for me that was probably the most convicting. Uh, because the psalmist is looking at the disobedience of those around him. And he's, when I say pain, I mean like he's an emotional pain. That he is, uh, and he's, he's crying, and he's crying so strongly that he actually tries to paint the illusion of like little streams going down his face because he's, um, moved in such a way by the disobedience of those around him. And so part of what got me about this was, let me just ask y'all, some of y'all this, and you don't, I don't, I don't want actual responses. It's rhetorical. Um, but like, how often have you cried of, of the, because of the disobedience of those around you? Like, how often have you cried about the disobedience of what you see happening in your city or in your country or like the loved ones around you? Um, like, that doesn't happen. I'm assuming I'm pretty safe to say that probably doesn't happen very often. But how often are you moved to just being angry about the disobedience around you? Like, yeah, like that's gonna, that happens more often. Um, and like, I'm, that's not me coming and judging or condemning anybody. Like, I cannot really recall the last time that the disobedience around me like brought me to tears. And if I'm being honest, we can consider this like confession time if we want to, another confession time. Um, like, I don't necessarily think that's probably a good thing, right? Because uh, if you look at the Gospels, like in Luke 19, Jesus saw, looked at the Jerusalem and it brought him to tears. Um, one of the most memorized verses in the Bible, John 11:35, Jesus wept. Um, he cried because of what sin had done in this in this man's in this man's life. And so, like I said, this probably was probably one of the most convicting part of the passage because, like, uh, Jesus is 100% God, 100% man, God in the flesh. And he looked at the sin and brokenness of the world and cried. And if I don't know if I need to say this. Jesus was a man's man. And Jesus cried over the sin of the world. And so, like, maybe, like, so, like, if we want to follow Christ's footsteps, we want to be like Christ, uh, that means that sometimes maybe we should be a little more vulnerable and open and transparent and Maybe if we want to love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates, then maybe when we see sin, we should be moved by sin in a way that God is moved by it and the way that his people who wrote the, the scriptures were moved by the sin uh, in this world. Um, and so those, our hearts, our hearts for those around us, um, like our heart for the people around us is that they would know the gospel. Our heart is for repentance and our heart is that they would believe. Uh, Matthew Henry goes as far as to say that uh, the sins of sinners are the sorrows of saints, and we must mourn for that which we cannot uh, mend. Um, so it should cause a sorrow at times for us, like it did Christ at times, when we see those around us in rebellion against God, because they're in rebellion against God, and that should uh, bring us a sorrow. But it also should bring us to sorrow that in the rebellion against God, that they're also hurting and damaging uh, themselves as well. Um, and there is great uh, consequence for being a slave to sin. Uh, it's not just like this academic, mythical thing. It's a real, real problem with great consequences. Um, and like Jesus, it should grieve us uh, to see that those in sin against God um, and they should grieve us that they care so little about God and so little about their own lives. Um, 
Yes, there are times that we should be angry. Sin should make us angry, uh, but it should also bring us uh, to tears and we should grieve over it as well. Um, Sada is a letter, the letter for the uh, second stanza. And um, it be, it's a letter that begins uh, the word righteousness. And um, this is the letter that begins uh, each verse of the stanza uh, in the Hebrew. And in the stanza, the psalmist uh, consequently, uh, consistently is celebrating uh, God's word, and he's also celebrating uh, God's uh, righteousness. And so what we see here is uh, something directing us to know and trust and find peace and rest and knowing that God's word is uh, reliable and that God's word is trustworthy. And while we can and should ask questions about God's word, we don't want to be a people who question uh, God's word. And those are very different things. It's good to ask questions about God's word. It's good to dig in, know it, and understand it greater. Uh, but we don't want to question God's word because we want to um, step forward and grow in our faith and honor of the Lord. And so, yes, to asking questions about it, but we do not want to question uh, the word. And as the psalmist says, the Lord is righteous and he is blameless and he can know that there is nothing in God's nature that will contradict who God has revealed to himself to be in his word. And so God's word and actions are consistent. Uh, this means that God is, as the psalmist says uh, at, the end of, at the end of the stanza, at verse 137, that God is faithful. That God is faithful and that God is consistent and who his nature and character does line up with his word. Um, Willen von, Ge von Gemeren, I believe I said that correct. I don't, I don't know English. Um, <laughs> Willen von Gemeren, uh, he's a theologian who wrote uh, some commentaries on the Psalms. And uh, he says this in regards to uh, God and his word. Trust in the reliability of God's word. Uh, trust in the reliability of God's word is directly proportionate to one's trust in the Lord uh, himself. So if we want to be a faithful people, if we want to grow in knowing the Lord, we want to grow in trusting the Lord, then we must trust that God's word and actions are consistent and they are not at odds uh, with one another. Even when we don't understand God's word, it doesn't mean that God is inconsistent. Uh, when we don't understand uh, God's word, that's a good reminder that uh, God is inf God is infinite, uh, and we are finite beings. That we are limited, and we are limited in our understandings. We are limited in our abilities. And when we are reminded of our limitedness, that is a that is God directing us and pushing us to Him, uh, to Him in studying His Word more, and to Him in prayer. And that is also Him pushing us to be in more intimate community uh, with other believers in His church. And so we must, try, we must trust that God's word and actions are consistent. And when we don't see it, we are, should be reminded to push closer uh, to God. And this shows uh, God to be a very faithful, and this shows that God to be very uh, righteous in who he is. And as you probably know from going through this psalm together up until now, um, all summer there have been certain themes that continue to come up within the psalm. And one of them is pain, suffering, uh, and affliction. And we see that again here uh, in the stanza. Uh, the psalmist says, I am small and I am despised. Um, he also, he is, he is troubled and he is in anguish. Um, trouble and anguish have found him out. Um, and so consequently, 
consistently in Scripture. Um, consistency in Scripture is something that uh, I always kind of find interesting. Uh, not because like I'm shocked by it. I mean, maybe I am sometimes, uh, but I'm not usually shocked by it. I just always am impressed by it. I think it's probably the better way to put it. Like I'm impressed by it. Uh, that how so many documents throughout history have cons- been able to be consistent uh, for so long and have been preserved for so long. Like I'm just consistently surprised by it. And we see that uh, throughout all of scripture. We see that as uh, throughout Psalm 119, we see this consistency over and over again. Um, and so, like, it's something that continues to just, uh, um, is surprising to me. Um, and what's interesting as the psalmist is talking about affliction here is that he, again, it's something that he did not need a deliverance from. He was not asking for deliverance, uh, from these hardships, uh, but what he's asking for is more of God's word. Um, and like, that's what he was ultimately, uh, looking for. He's looking for to, to delight in God's word and to find comfort and peace in, in God's word. And in the midst of his anguish, the psalmist is resting in God's righteousness. And in his, in his anguish, he's resting in God's uh, faithfulness. And the psalmist wants to know in the midst of those hardships, he's wanting to know the character of God's word. And he's looking for more intimacy with God during this hardship. And again, it's interesting that he's not looking for a way out of the affliction. But in the midst of these hardships, he's just he's looking for more God. He's looking for more of his word. Um, and this is what allows the psalmist to ultimately uh, to live. And he's knowing that God's word is righteous and that it is uh, everlasting. And like I believe I said at the beginning, as we journey through Psalm 119, uh, we want to remember and we want to consistently go back uh, to Christ. And we want to remember and know that Christ is the one who is righteous and that Christ is the one that is blameless. And he has always been faithful to us in the midst of our unfaithfulness, even to the point where he suffered death uh, on a cross. And we always want to remember that uh, Jesus knew uh, God's word better than anybody. He knew it perfectly. And part of what we mean by when we, he said, we say that he knew it perfectly was that he knew like the intent and the meaning behind it. Um, he had it memorized and uh, he knew the word perfectly. And him understanding the intent of it is something that the Pharisees and the scribes did not uh, understand. That's what they missed. Uh, but Jesus never forgot God's word or needed to be reminded of God's word. Uh, it was always on his heart. God's word was always on uh, Christ's heart. And Christ himself is the living word of God uh, who embodied life and uh, who embodied life and speech and and mission, uh, the very content and truth of the written word. And so Christ is the is the word in the flesh. Christ is ultimately uh, everything. And so at reading Psalm 119 I should bring Christ to mind in at least uh, two ways. Uh, he lived out the principles and the commandments of the psalm perfectly. And he loved the law of the Lord and meditated on its day uh, and night. And his very life gave uh, his very life gave the fuller and indeed fullest expression possible of the word. As he came as the very living word of God himself, uh, Jesus is himself God's message uh, to the world. So let us pray on that note. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this uh, this day. 
Thank you for just uh, being able to come here uh, to worship you, to dig into your word. And uh, we just uh, are thankful for your righteousness. Uh, we always want to celebrate your righteousness. We want to celebrate your freedom. And we want to always celebrate your faithfulness, Lord. And we are thankful for the work of, uh, of Christ on the cross. And just may we never, ever grow bored or tired of your word or of your gospel, Lord. We just thank you for all that you are. And we just always want to continue to grow in a stronger heart for you, for your word, and coming to you uh, in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.